All right, go to the book of Acts tonight, chapter 1. The theme this year is Believe to See. It's taken from Psalm 27, 13, where David wrote, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And the challenge I feel that God has for us this year is that we need to believe to see what He can do in us and through us. He's got something greater in store. We have to believe to see before we will see the goodness of the Lord. We don't see it and then believe it. That requires no faith. But we believe by faith to see what we cannot see with our natural eye. I feel as though God is leading us to go ahead with two Sunday morning services this year instead of next. And that's been the impetus for our theme. And these Sunday night messages so far in 2020, we must believe to see what God wants to accomplish here. What we do is not about us. It's about God being glorified through us as we reach more souls. I want to emphasize we do not seek a crowd for numbers sake. That's not the point. But we seek for people to know Christ and to be grounded in a good church. It's not about us getting a name, but it's about lifting up His name. And by the way, soul winning activities and various outreach ministries, the different ways in which we may get the gospel out, it's not a means of getting as many people in here as we can. That's not why we tell people about Christ. It's a commandment that we are to follow no matter the results. We're commanded to tell people about the Lord. And no matter if anybody receives it or not, We just keep doing what God has commanded us to do. Now, our hope is that as we tell people about Christ, there will be people who get saved and that they would join this church through believer's baptism and then that they would go on to be discipled, get grounded, and then go and do likewise. That's our hope. But the reason for our efforts is not growth. It's just obedience to the Great Commission. But I will also tell you this. If you broadcast enough seed, some of it will fall upon good ground. Eventually, some will fall where it can grow. And if you spread enough seed, broadcast enough seed of the Word of God out there, you will see a harvest at some point, some 30-fold, some 60, some 100-fold. And so while our emphasis isn't growth for the sake of growth, Would you agree tonight that any healthy organism is growing? It's growing both internally and externally. Growing both in heart and in number. But understand tonight that growth is not something we can bring about. We don't control that. We didn't have any say on how tall we got. We can't just will ourselves to grow. (laughs) Well, it made sense to me at the time. 
We can't just will for growth to happen in any capacity. You can't will yourself taller, and I can't will you to grow in the Lord. We can take the time to plant a garden. We can put forth the time, the time to water it, but we can't make it grow. Because we can't provide the sunshine. And we can't cause the seed to germinate. That takes place in the hidden places. Since we can't guarantee the results, then what is it which makes a church grow? Well, hopefully you found your place in Acts chapter 1 here, and we'll find some answers. Would you look with me real quick at the last verse of chapter 2, and then we'll go back to chapter 1. The very last sentence of chapter 2 says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You see, it's the Lord who adds to the church. Believers weren't the ones adding people to the church. As we go through this thought tonight, we won't find that the Lord added to the church because they were such good administrators. And that they had such wonderful programs in place. That they were able to orchestrate those and pull those off every week. That's not why the Lord added to the church. We won't find that the Lord added to the church because... They had such an effective chariot ministry. We won't find that the Lord added to the church because they were so talented musically. That they had such good singers and such good preachers. The Lord didn't add to the church because they had an academy or a print press. The Bible is clear that the Lord grows the church. So why did the Lord bless this church in Jerusalem with such growth? Well, I'm going to walk through chapters 1 and 2 real quick and take note of what led to what I just read at the end of chapter 2, verse 47. What led to the Lord adding to the church daily such as should be saved. And for ease, I'm just going to take these in order, although they may not necessarily flow in order. Look in chapter 1. We'll begin in verses 6 and 7. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Now, I originally wasn't going to mention this, but I think it probably has merit uh, in doing so. I see here that they were confused about a particular doctrine. And it happens to be the doctrine a doctrine on Israel. And I'll save my opinions for that topic for another time. But it's still a hotly debated topic today. And there's just something about Israel and end time doctrines that gets people all stirred up and gets them upset. All kind of emotions come out. But don't you just love Jesus' response to their question? (laughs) It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in His power. He didn't agree with them. He doesn't disagree with them. He doesn't give them a detailed answer. But I want you to notice how they didn't get hung up at their lack of understanding of it either. Some of you know why this is an important point to make. Some of you have no clue. Uh, But they didn't get hung up on it. They didn't waste time overemphasizing what Jesus wasn't going to waste time Not emphasizing. I don't know if I said that right. They weren't going to waste time with what Jesus wasn't wasting time with. 
And I think that's important for us. And I mention this because some churches, they get stifled because they get so worked up over a certain doctrine that all they seem to talk about is their understanding of that one area. Well, you may not know this about our church, but we're God's gift to this doctrine. And we're going to tell you every service. Are you with me? And so churches, sometimes they get stifled because that's all they talk about. How everybody else is wrong. It becomes their emphasis. It's their platform. And the Lord begins to grow weary of the main thing no longer being the main thing. I'm not suggesting we don't preach the whole counsel of God. We need to preach the entire Bible. I'm not suggesting that we avoid issues. But we must be about preaching Christ and Him crucified first and foremost. And guess what? There will be some things in the Bible that you don't understand. There'll just be some things you don't have answers for. There may be some things where God has said, it's not for you to know the times and seasons. So don't sweat it. Study in your personal time. Enjoy all that. But don't get all worked up over it. Jesus here isn't getting sidetracked. He says, hey, you're going to have to wait for the Spirit to come and and do you with power. What about the kingdom? It's not for you to know. Okay. So, here's my point. Let's not get sidelined on controversial doctrine. We know what the Bible says about the way of salvation and sanctification and We need to focus on honoring God, glorifying God, and let the others go on about who is right and who is wrong on issues that really don't affect much of anything. Now, I I think I might know some things, and yet it really doesn't matter what my opinion is on the timing of everything. Does that affect your life any? Does it affect my life any? No. Why do we get so hung up on these things? And so here's this church. Jesus gives them an answer. They're satisfied with it. And they move on. So don't get hung up on controversial doctrines. Number number two. Next we see they had had a need for the Holy Spirit's Spirit's presence and power. We're talking about what made this church so unique. Look at verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And then look at verse, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so, what a church needs to be blessed is the presence of the Holy Ghost. For any church to be empowered, the power must come from the Holy Spirit. We can work for a season in the power and the strength of our flesh, but it will never produce lasting results. Only the Holy Spirit can do a work inwardly that will begin to reflect outwardly. When we work in our flesh, we can make the appearance outwardly, but have nothing inwardly. And so it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to truly be a unique church. 
We need the Holy Spirit's presence. Zechariah 4.6 says, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The Spirit does the work that we cannot do. We've never saved anybody. I know we use the term soul winning. It's It's a Bible term. But we aren't the ones who win the souls, so to speak. Jesus Christ is the one who saves them. And so we're not the one who saves them. We, we take them to the Lord. And so we, we must understand there's things that we cannot do. We cannot fix broken homes. We cannot reclaim backsliders. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. And for any work to be everlasting, it has to be done through the power of the Spirit. And therefore, to be effective as a church, we must have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is it that makes the Holy Spirit arrive with such great power? Look at verse 14 of chapter 1. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with His brethren. God blessed this church immensely because they were of one accord. That is so important in all of this. We already saw it in chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord. And then at, in verse 46 of chapter 2, it says, And they continuing daily with one accord. Inward divisions will quench the Holy Spirit's power in a church. God hates those who sow discord among the brethren. That's what the Bible says. And it's an abomination to Him. But there's something about unity which makes the Spirit welcome in a place. Psalm 133, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessings, even life forevermore. To get unity, like the Bible talks about, to be of one accord, how does a church achieve that? Well, it takes humility. It takes being humble. Philippians 2, 1-3 says, if, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, or excuse me, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves." If we want to be of one accord and make this place, when we assemble together, an environment for the Holy Ghost, then we have to be humble when we come in here. If we all remember what we are without Christ, and that's nothing, we'll be at a good starting point. There will be no puffed up people who think they are better than others. You can't be unified if you think you are above other people. Right? That's not unity. And so we can't be unified when we get puffed up. We are all in this thing together. And we are all to be one body in the Lord. 
Now, I believe we're on the right track here. We've had enough visiting preachers come in here and and mention the spirit that's uh, felt in this place. They've noted that. And I think it's because overall we are trying to be of one accord. And I just want to encourage you tonight to keep, let's keep that going. Let's keep that going. Next we see, they were a praying church. Look at verse 14 again of chapter 1. They continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Verse 24 says, and they prayed. Chapter 2 and verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. We must be a praying church. We are going to keep praying corporately on Wednesday nights. I know that's dying off out there across America, but we're going to keep doing it. And if I could just give a gentle rebuke, I think we can do a better job of it. Our praying on Wednesday night is very haphazard. It's very quick. It's not us taking time to get a hold of God. We need to be a people of prayer in our personal lives too. If you're done praying so quickly on Wednesday nights, what does that say about your prayer life through the week? Do we believe in the power of prayer or not? And I don't believe we're going to see great things from God until we become earnest, fervent prayers. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I want to encourage you just to really pray on Wednesday nights. Don't get so mechanical. Don't just rush through the prayer requests. But get a hold of God. It wouldn't bother me one bit if we never got to the preaching because we just got carried away with prayer. We have not because we ask not. Next, we see that this church didn't let those who drop out sideline them. I won't take time to read verses 15 through 26 of, verse, of chapter 1, but they're choosing a replacement for Judas Iscariot, who was the betrayer of Christ. And they didn't compromise in the process either. They had a set criteria and they stayed with it. And as we've seen, sadly, there will be those who drop out along the way. There will be those who will fall by the wayside as we go forward. Now, I never want to see any person leave, ever. But it's going to keep happening. But I do everything I know to do to prevent it from happening. And I mean to tell you, I scratch and claw and I do everything I know to try to get them back. Now, I'm not talking about purposefully leaving people behind, but there's going to be those who defect to the world. Those who leave for what they think will be something better. Those who leave because they think they have the market on those controversial doctrines. We've seen all three of those. 2 Timothy 4.10 says, For Demas hath hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Demas defected to the world. He's mentioned in other places where he's called the fellow laborer of Paul. 3 John verse 9. I wrote unto the church, but the atrophies who loveth to have the preeminence among them receiveth us not. John had wrote a letter He had written the words of God, and yet this man didn't want to receive it. 
And there's going to be those like that. And those are typically those who have all the answers on all the controversial issues. I really don't care what your letter says, John, but I've got this figured out and I want the preeminence. And there's going to be people like that along the way. And it's going to hurt when people forsake us. Amen? Some of you have been very close to these who have left. And it hurts when people leave. It hurts when they leave and when they never really understood our heart. Just recently dealing with somebody and I had to, I had to finally tell them, look, you just weren't faithful enough to know our heart. You're accusing us of a lot of things that are not true. And if you would have just been faithful to our church, you would have seen that. But there's going to be people like that. And either way, we, we, we can't prevent it, but it's going to be painful no matter how they leave. But if we, listen now, this is where I'm going with this. If we can't win them back, then we cannot let their departure sideline us from what we are doing. We have to keep pressing on. We have to trust that God will send replacements. And if it was someone serving in an area of ministry, then we have to make sure, just like they did, we don't compromise God's standard for the sake of plugging somebody in to an area of ministry. We need to make sure whoever fills that gap is doing it according to God's Word. Next thing we see about this church that was special, the reason why they were so blessed, is because they had Christ-centered Bible preaching. In Acts chapter 2, in verses 14 through 41, we find Peter preaching the Word of God. And while he's preaching, he's emphasizing Christ. He references the book of Joel, the Psalms, He mentions David as a prophet. His primary message is 23 verses long, and he mentions Christ in at least 12 of those verses. I think it was Charles Spurgeon that said, read your text and as quick as you can, get to Christ. We must have Christ-centered Bible preaching. To be an effective church, we must keep preaching the Word of God. We cannot compromise on the Bible. You've heard me say before, but if somebody wants to know what programs we offer for kids, you can tell them. Preaching. What do you have for the nursery? Preaching. What do you have for the teens? Preaching. What do you have in Sunday school? Preaching. That's what we need. We need preaching. We must preach it straight. But that doesn't mean preaching harshly. We can be dogmatic and not bludgeon people over the head with our 15-pound King James Bible. We can preach with conviction, but also with compassion. Now, at the end of chapter 2 here, there's a flurry of things this church was doing which caused the Lord to bless them with such great numbers. Let's read verses 42 through 47. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so we see in these verses that they continued steadfastly in doctrine. We must hold to the fundamentals 
and never budge on those things that are a big deal. There are some things that are lines in the sand. There are some areas that we must toe that line and not give it up. And I'm not talking about earlier those doctrines that are really not that big of a deal when it comes to the salvation of a sinner. But there are some doctrines that we cannot budge on. And we have to continue steadfastly in those things. We see that they fellowship together. They were given to hospitality. This is what makes people feel welcomed. Right? I love how people hang around after church just to visit one another. That's wonderful. Keep that up. If you do that, I'll keep preaching short. Amen. And if you're able to have people over to your house, then do it. Just have a meal with somebody in church. Even if you want to do it just because you're a busybody and you're nosy, do it. Make friends. Your closest friends ought to be within the church. Amen. Those should be your closest friends. We see that they ate together. This may also have reference to partaking of the Lord's Supper. But enjoy a meal with somebody from church sometime. We see that they assembled together. A healthy church enjoys assembling. And those who stay in are those who meet together when the doors are open. Almost without fail. There are exceptions, but almost without fail. Those who end up ducking out are those who were never faithful to begin with when we assembled together. So don't forsake the assembling together. And when we do all of these things that we've been talking about, people like to gather together. They like to be around their friends. They like to be around family. They like to be around those that they can fellowship with and that they can hang out with outside of the church. They enjoy it. Finally, we see they praise God together. Did you know great things happen when a church will praise God with one voice? We see that in the Old Testament. When they praised God with one voice, the Spirit came in and they couldn't even minister. They were crowded out by God's presence. How awesome is that? Hebrews 13, 15 says, By Him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. And as we started this message with the last sentence in verse 47, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I want to go back to the question that I opened up with. Why did the Lord bless this church in Jerusalem the way that He did? Well, we've seen tonight that they were a Spirit-filled church. They were a unified church. They were a praying church. They were a church that pressed on through adversity. They were a church with Christ-centered Bible preaching. They continued in doctrine They fellowshiped together. They ate together. They assembled together. And they praised God together. Now here's my point tonight. We cannot make the church grow. But we can work at making the right environment for growth. Somebody once said, we cannot make the winds of revival blow but we can set ourselves for revival when those winds blow. Do you think God is going to cause growth for a church that isn't Spirit-filled? Do you think God is going to bring growth to a church that isn't unified? 
that isn't praying, that gets sidelined all the time, that doesn't preach Christ, that doesn't continue in sound doctrine, doesn't fellowship, eat, assemble, and praise God together, is God going to bless a church like that? No. Of course not. But He will bring growth to a church which has these things in place. We cannot build the church, but Christ said, I will build my church. So I want to ask our church tonight, how are we doing in these areas? Is there an area that you can improve on? Is there an area where maybe you tonight are hindering the growth of our church? Why not purpose to be as welcoming as you can to others? Amen. Look, chances are you're just going to be saying stuff like, hey, how's it going? That wasn't too hard. That took a couple seconds or less. And then when they start talking back, just listen to me preach in your mind. Be as welcoming as you can. When people feel welcome, they want to keep coming. Isn't that what you said, Sheila? Man, we came in the church and people were so welcoming. That's what makes the difference. I don't think at that point she cared a whole lot about where we stood on certain issues. You understand what I'm saying? Because the first thing people want to know is, am I even welcome there? There were ten reasons given tonight for why the Lord blessed the church in Jerusalem. Let's purpose to fulfill those ten reasons. Those ten areas. Let's work at those. And you may be wondering, what does this have to do with believe to see? Well, that's a good question. Here's my application. If we do these things properly, then we should believe to see the goodness of the Lord in our church. I believe when we do our part, He does His part. So let's do our part. Let's provide a godly environment where the Holy Spirit can work. And then let's believe to see the Lord's multiplication. The Lord blesses any church like the one we've looked at tonight. He will bless that. And it doesn't have to mean an increase in numbers numerically. But I'll tell you this, it certainly means we're going to be growing at least inwardly. We'll be growing closer to the Lord. And so we all need to do our part. We all need to get on board. We all need to look at those 10 areas. And we need to see what we can do to make it better. Maybe there's somebody you just need to invite over. I don't like that person. Maybe that's why you need to invite them over. So you can get that fixed. Amen. God hates division. We need to be unified. And so whatever it is, if you're teaching a class, make sure you're teaching Christ-centered lessons. Amen. From the nursery on up. Make sure that He has the preeminence. And so we've got to make sure we're doing these things. Provide the right environment for the Holy Spirit. And so we'll... Will we be that church? Are we going to be a first century Jerusalem church? Let's pray.